Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. I, this week in WordPress, um, it's the episode... 224 on the 30th of August uh, 2018 and we have this show every week at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time and you can join us live if you go to the WP Tonic Facebook page. Um, Obviously it's the holiday weekend but I've got a great panel here. Uh, and, I, and I think I've found some good stories. They will tell me <laughs> that is not correct. I'm going to let Sally um, in Self first. I build websites that help you uh, actually concentrate on doing your work. Uh, And I'm also the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup, and I have cats, opinions, and migraines. There we go. Sounds sounds an interesting mixture. Uh, Morton, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Morton. I'm a senior staff instructor with LinkedIn Learning. Do you have a cold, Sally? No, I have a migraine. That's why you're coughing? I'm not coughing. I don't know what you're hearing. <laughs> you're coughing. Right to Yahoo, right. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Spencer Foreman from WP Automation Lab, and I help people build profitable WordPress membership sites with marketing automation. And John, excuses. I help manufacturing and industrial companies with their SEO. And John had a great interview that I listened to on Lee Jackson's podcast. And um, I suggest you go and listen to it. It was a great interview. You did well, John. Uh, um, So I'm going to go straight into the first story. Uh, We already had a a pre-glimpse of this. Uh, um, WordPress to support classic editor for many years to come. Plugin and theme markets expected to dive, drive, to dive, drive, Gutenberg adoptation or whatever. Um, what did you think of this one, Moulton? Uh, which story is this again? Sorry, I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was reading something about the Gutenberg plugin thing. Yes, what? Yes. yes one more time. <laughs> you, you want to start? I saying. was literally reading your thing about what we're talking about and I lost which part we're talking about. Right. Sally, would you like to start? I, sure. This is the uh, 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 so <clears throat> this is a, a statement that uh, you know the <clears throat> classic editor is going to be around for a while and and which I suspect is um, <clears throat> connected to the article of, of Morton's that you were talking about at the beginning about you know uh, whether this is in fact a a good solution. I think the article is meant to kind of, you know, reassure people that they will not instantly be forced to use Gutenberg, which is probably reassuring to people who have sites where it's likely to break stuff. Um, uh, <clears throat> but uh, uh, yes, if you've been if you've been paying attention online, you probably know Morton's opinion about this. But I'll let him tell you that. Uh, yeah, it's all kind of before I throw it over back to Morton. Um, I thought it was. It was all very, uh, it, it, 
it's like a scene out of Dogs of War. You know, it's a scene in Dogs of War uh, um, where the reporter you know, in this godforsaken um, African um, dictatorship and the reporter's talking to Christopher, um, the lead, and saying that, and it's about, you know, there are rumours of rumours about blah, blah, blah. You know, it kind of struck me a bit like that. You know, it's like... Um, yeah, well, I'm waffling, don't I? Uh, Moulton, um, what did you think of it? I think it's pretty clear by now that I'm not a fan of the classic editor plugin for various reasons. Um, I think that we talked about this briefly last time too. This, the origins of the classic editor plugin is the gluten, no, gluten free, <laughs> gluten free, gluten free. Yeah, it's it's like I, I wrote this in my article. The classic editor plugin is like trying to patch a hole in a balloon with a band aid. So if you try to re, if you patch the hole with a band aid, it'll work for as long as you don't do anything to the balloon. But if the balloon shrinks or increases in size, then all of a sudden you have a huge problem. And if you look, if you go back and you look at this conversation I had with a bunch of people on Twitter earlier in the week about uh, the classic editor, you'll see at some point I say that the reason why I'm concerned about the classic editor plugin is because Gutenberg is not supposed to be an editor replacement. So the second Gutenberg ships in 5.0, the immediate switch it for the Gutenberg team is towards the, the customizer, at which point either the classic editor plugin needs to change its scope and not, no longer be a classic editor plugin, but be a classic editor plus a bunch of other crap plugin. Or we have to have another plugin to, to compensate for whatever else Gutenberg is doing. Now, what's going to happen is the, the, the idea is we take blocks and we make blocks into a global object inside WordPress. So you, like when you make a block, you don't have to make it inside the editor. You can make it somewhere else and then you can place it inside the editor or outside the editor or somewhere else. That entire way of thinking does not work if we have to, at the same time, consider people who have turned that feature off because this becomes the core feature of WordPress. And this notion that we can have this plugin that kind of just patches the things and then we can keep fixing WordPress on the bottom just results in endless legacy debt. And it'll get worse and worse and worse. And the thing is, anyone outside of the, of the Gutenberg echo chamber tell, says the same things. Like, this is a bad idea because it'll prevent us from doing things and it'll cause huge legacy debt down the road. The people inside the bubble are now so committed to this idea that the classic editor plugin is a simple way out of a complicated problem, that they're unwilling to realize there are other ways of solving this that are cleaner and that don't cause huge problems down the road. So that's where I'm at. I, I, I am deeply concerned of the time that will be spent building and maintaining the classic editor plugin and all the time that other plugin developers and theme developers will have to spend supporting modern WordPress both in and outside of Gutenberg because of that plugin, rather than just saying, if you're on 5.0 or later, you don't, this plugin doesn't support you at all. So, yeah. So, so in other words, if, if we think WordPress is held together by duct tape and bailing wire now, it, 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 we should just wait. And, oh, yeah. It'll get much worse. What do you reckon, Spencer? I, I'm entirely in Morton's camp, and I'll take a couple of his quotes because I see this as very similar to the operating system phenomena. 
or if you want the hardware phenomena. So if those of us who back in the day used Windows or Mac, Macintosh had the PowerPC at a certain point in time, moved to Intel. It wasn't more than like a blip on the radar that people realized there's no way to bridge the gap. So pick your hardware and that's it. And you either had to get on the ship and leave with the Intel hardware, or you had to stay in your old world, you know, like Columbus and visiting the new world. Same thing with Windows. I mean, Windows 95 outlasted its useful purpose, but when they moved to the next thing, I think it was Windows 98 or whatever, the th eventually you just realized you can't use the new software with your old operating system. Done. I see this as a layer of complexity that, quite frankly, I don't even want to go on. So my conversations internally and with my clients and everything else has been just as simple. It'd be so, just like you said, it's a political, it'd be so easy. Just make a brand new version of WordPress, WordPress fresh something, Next. and just say, look, it's a platform. It's not a blogging thing anymore. It's just the architecture, the framework. You have custom post types, a media library. You have all the different plugins and you know JavaScript, blah, blah, blah. But if you use this, that's the new world version two. And if you want to stay in the old world, stay there. Just like people came from Europe to America. Done and done. If you start putting a plugin to fix a plugin to fix a plugin to fix a plugin, come on, that Frankenstein monster thing is just never going to go anywhere. And then how do you undo all of that, like you say, waste of time? So 100% feel that this is all academic. I'm going to personally recommend to all my clients that we just stay where they're at and either they pay for a leap to the new thing when it is actually sorted out or we just avoid this whole topic because to me it's like, listening to a political radio or something. You're just going to go in circles forever and it never ends up anything happening. So just wait it out. Can I, can I just interject one thing? The transition from PowerPC to Intel processors was a small blip unless you were actually working on something. I had several oh, friends right. and I worked in a TV network at the time that had full PowerPC setups and they needed to update I movie if, the final if the software moved up you were stuck and all of a sudden it was like oh you have to buy all new computers and all new software so all of a sudden your hardware and software budget went up by like eight million percent but that's where this, this open source thing kicks in so for example yeah. the difference here being that's where that fork conversation comes up because the camp will be like hey i got like 500 clients on this whole i don't want to spend the time or force them to go to the yeah. Well, well, that's what happened, right? A lot of a lot of um, larger networks, a lot of people just stuck with the old model until they. I, had I believe I've time seen some Windows XP money. computers in banks. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's a well, legacy problem that's far greater than that. That has to do with international yeah. compliance, and that's why that's why Windows ninety five lasted so long. You know. Oh, well, Windows ninety eight uh -huh. sucked. I, I went from ninety five to XP. It's like you have to skip every other version of Windows. Yeah, well, they go. What do you reckon, John? Gutenberg, the vista of WordPress. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's right. Right. Oh, dear. Oh, I think that's the, lo uh, the final that, that, That's possibly better than Windows ME. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I think Windows that's ME had meaningful use. No one understood it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think that was the final word. We need, a, we need, oh. a, we need Clippy for, for WordPress. Like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. I'll, I'll, I'll just quote an unnamed source here. Uh, <laughs> at some point, everyone will realize the second we finally get comfortable with and use Gutenberg is the second we also have to come to terms with the fact that we've screwed up the content blog. Blob. 
That's the problem. It's like everyone's like, we must preserve the blob because that's how we've always done things. And then they'll realize, oh my God, we filled the blob with so much crap now that it doesn't actually function anymore. Well, this is an issue I've, I've heard people raise. It's like, okay, so you create these blocks, except then you can't like take any bits out of the blocks because they're not, you know, except for the global ones that they don't exist separately in the database. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you just have to query the whole, the, every single post. If you want to pull something out, you query every single post in the entire site and then pull out one piece. Or you can make it a repeatable block, in which case it lives as its own custom post type which is separate from everything else, which defeats the entire purpose of having the blocks in the bandwidth. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well. Um, I, I have to say, like, the interesting thing about this conversation is, if you look back a year, you'll remember, everyone, kept, a lot of people kept saying, we need to get this out into user testing right now before we start doing way too much work on it because the reality is the people who actually use it will have very different concerns than the people who are inside the WordPress bubble, right? And then finally, they made it public so that people actually test it and they have like 200,000 installs. And what is the primary thing that everyone keeps complaining about? That everyone inside and outside the WordPress community have been complaining about since day one that the Gutenberg team has resisted. It is that this writing process has gotten very complex. And it's crazy because you've been watching the entire conversation about Gutenberg since day one. It's always been, you're adding too much shit on top of the writing process, making it too complicated so that there's too much distraction. There are too many things happening. You need to take that out. And the Gutenberg team has been saying since day one, no, you just have to get used to it. You're being difficult. You're just talking about what you're used to, right? This week, they just introduced, what, five different models of the distraction-free writing mode as a direct response to all the feedback they've been getting. And all the feedback is saying what the community has been saying all along. So this, is a, this hopefully is a wake-up call to the people who work on this that they are literally stuck in their own echo chamber at this point. And they're not realizing that they've gone so far off from what people actually want and need that the rest of the world will tell them all the things that the community has been telling them all along. It does take a heck of a long time, a, a lot longer to like uh, dig out a video block than to just paste a YouTube link into the editor. And, you know, that, that's, it, it's one of my issues with using uh, page builders. They can be helpful, but, you know, once you have something with a whole bunch of different possible modules or rows or elements or whatever the heck it's calling them, then like hunting for the right one, uh, you know, I start to feel like I could code this faster than I can find that bloody thing. Um, well, there you go. On to the next story. Um, this is a story that Spencer found. Um, a man, so don't blame me, folks. Uh, the man who snuck snuck into the Ivy League without paying a fin. What, what's this story about, Spencer, and, what, and why did you like it? The takeaway that I like, I have three kids, two of whom are in high school, one's maybe at the close to college. And I, I have, you know, I have a graduate level of education and so forth. The point is, in today's world, skills matter. Diplomas, and I agree with the premise, are in some cases nothing more than a receipt for a very expensive experience with other college-age people and the things that go along with it. So the takeaway is college can be a valuable experience for the connections you make, the things that you learn, learning how to become an adult, but the education itself, the actual thing that are in those classes that you go to, are oftentimes nothing more than an incredibly overpriced thing that you could get on your own as part of learning and acquiring your own skills. 
And I want to add to this, before this whole conversation as of late with student debt and how expensive universities have gotten, I went to University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and back then it was $660 a semester. And I enjoyed running businesses back then. So I had a balloon business that made lots more than that. But even then, it was still like a kid could go to college for, you know, $3,600 to $4,800 total over four years. In today's world, most people who go to graduate level stuff, like when I went to law school, they said, nothing we teach you is going to be usable. All we're teaching you is how to think like a lawyer. And sure enough, even back then, I graduated in 91. It was just like you knew where to look. And when I was a pilot, all these different skills in life that I've enjoyed for whatever reasons had nothing to do with the education at the university. What they did teach me, though, was how to literally know what to say or know what to ask or know where to look. And I found this was interesting because this kid proved it out. I mean, maybe it was illegal, but just literally experienced the whole college thing at Ivy League. And nobody was the wiser. And at the end, didn't get the diploma. But we've already seen that there are some people who have, they're kind of silly, but like the Florida politician woman who claimed she had a degree from somewhere. I mean, people could theoretically say I graduated from blankety blank. And as long as nobody checks. Well, you know, what what you could say is, oh, I went to such and such and and, uh, be truthful because he did go there. Uh, If not officially, it's, you know, the expense is a challenging thing. And it's the, and, but I think that part of what people misplace is that you do not go to university and particularly you do not go to an Ivy league university to learn a trade. If you want to learn, you know, if you want to learn skills for doing work, you know, the best way is probably to do it on the job. Sometimes you're going to need some, some official uh, training for it. But, you know, my, my husband finished his high school classes at 16 uh, was legally required to be attending school at, at, at until he was 18. So he went to night classes, you know, and mostly didn't show up because he'd started doing computer work and he was making lots of money and he's self-taught in just like stupefying levels of mathematics. And so as, you know, many people indi- are, are proof that you don't need a degree to do work, even highly skilled work, uh, if you are, you know, motivated and, and interested enough. But uh, you know, what you <clears throat> get out of going to a, a university. And it might be the connections. I mean, people talk about, you know, all the connections you make at, a, at an Ivy League university. I mean, I went to an Ivy League university. I had a wonderful time. I, I don't <clears throat> uh, regret it for, for a minute. And I think the school is doing, continues to do really interesting things. But, um, you know, nobody I met there, you know, was like a door to the life of the rich and famous. It, it's not guaranteed um, <clears throat> yeah, um, before I throw it over to John and the rest of the panel, um, I, I think um, I kind of added this story because obviously Spencer found it interesting, but also I think it's really relevant in the digital age, you know, especially, uh, you know, the jobs of the 21st century. It's a cliche, but it's probably true. You know, somebody said the jobs of the 21st century haven't even been created, so how can you train for them? Um, but the other thing, I think it's a, it's, it has something linked to Gutenberg, is that I think education is, Education at the present time, it's higher education, is is being forced to do something which it was never designed to do in the first place. It's supposed to be able to kind of, in England and in America, to be a levier 
of social problems. And it cannot do that. Um, it was always supposed to be um, areas where trained people, then they probably went into higher research. And through the past 30 years, it, it's, it's morphed into something that it was fundamentally never designed to accomplish in a way. But the only problem with that argument is there's other European countries that have coped with this much better than America and Britain, really. What do you reckon, John? No, kudos to this kid, because what you're really going for now, a lot of, like the panel has said, a lot of things in the world you can learn without getting a degree. Yeah. Uh, Computer science, I mean, I guess that's helpful, but, you know, you could learn that. We should have apprenticeships for engineering, computer engineering. I'm just going to put that forward. But what he's doing is really smart because if you go to an Ivy League school, what is the point of an Ivy League school? It is to have connections to other people uh, that can afford to go to Ivy League school. This is um, a, a proven thing. If you have those types of connections, you're going to have an easier time in the world. So kudos to him. Uh, agree with you about the um, enormous debt of of the uh, you know college system. It, it, it's like everything else. It, it needs a modification here in the states. So we'll see. N- NYU, by the way, made med school free two weeks ago. Nice. And also University of Illinois that I was referencing made it that if your family has an income, let's say of 65000 or less, it's also free. The point being is that I think they, this is a Gutenberg relationship, they see the fork in the road. They got away with maybe for the 20 to 30 years increasing the price of public education to this unbearable amount. And now that backlash of that bubble coming forward is going to kick them in the rear end if they don't do something to like change how they get paid. So many universities are choosing to get paid by private benefactors now. The wealthy, you know, quarter of 1%. That's actually kind of how it always worked. It was, but they they changed it on the backs of the students and their parents. And now what's happening is there's no delivery on the promise of if you spend $500,000 to go to Tulane, that you're going to get a job that's ever going to pay that back. So now they realize that backlash perhaps is coming. And they have all this infrastructure and salaries and everything to pay for the, the huge thing that nobody needs in the digital world because you can just take the education online from your computer. And they're figuring out, maybe we better do something to you know, protect ourselves. This won't affect Stanford. This won't affect NYU per se or any of the other big you know, like Ivy League things. But what it will do is across the whole university system, create a, why do I need to think that my kid has to go and pay this kind of money to go to this college instead of a gap year, or when I meant skills, I didn't mean skills like a hammer and a nail. I meant skills like I'm actually learning the things about life and business that will suit me in an entrepreneurial endeavor, which by the way is why all these people like Mark Zuckerberg leave Harvard. They don't. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's one thing I do want to say is that, you know, part of the, uh, part of the point of going to university is to be in a position where you are taught to think about those things that, you know, Morton keeps saying we don't think about, you know, right. the, the, to ask the questions, to, to be taught to question your beliefs. Uh, to have but just a, not for $400,000. Well, no, the, the, no, I mean, the, the, you know, the money is insane. I was, I was <laughs> hugely relieved when my alma mater made it uh, so that 
uh, all of the financial aid offered was it was not loans. Uh, so because yeah, you know, I had a friend who put on his mortarboard when he graduated forty eight thousand dollars balance due, and and that was in nineteen eighty nine. When if you were you know tolerably well off, you could still afford to send your kid to an Ivy League school, and and now it's like, yeah, tuition. So, there, by the way, the reason more than I've ever made in a year. Yeah, can I um, can I intervene because I want to keep this. Yeah. you know. Um, I want to bring Moulton in because in a digital age, you know, you, you, you're uh, a chief instructor, lynda.com. You've got, in, you know, intrinsic insight into this. Um, I, in some ways, I think higher education is used as a football to kick around for all society's social problems. Um, in some ways, I think it's a little bit unfair. On the other hand, I totally agree with what um, Spencer's been saying. So I'm really kind of, how do you how do you see this panning out? Do you really see the kind of um, universities dying out in the, in the next 20, 40 years in a way? You're shaking your head, so obviously you don't agree. Oh, what do you reckon? What the hell are you talking about? The, the purpose of a university is to create science. Like, this is the thing. Like, you have to remember what the purpose of universities are. It is actually not primarily education. It's primarily building and creating science by taking people who want to get into it and then educating them up to the point where they become scientists and then advancing everything. So advancing computer science and biology and medical science and law and social sciences and everything else. That won't go away. If that went away, society would just cease to function. That is in our entire. I didn't actually, I didn't actually mean that, Bolton. Yeah, of course you did. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. Our entire modern society is based on the premise that we have intelligent people who are fostered to be able to create, to figure out the hard problems of our society and move us forward. That's what university is for. The problem um, occurs when either people think that going to university, qua going to university is a path to a job. It's not. Or if they think that they have to go to university because that's the only way of getting a job, right? So, um, and that's also why we have these different types of educational systems. Now, I have to apologize. I'm European, so I don't actually understand how, like the distinction between college and university in the United States doesn't make any sense to me. I truly do not understand where that it's line a, is. It's a university if it has a graduate school and a college if it doesn't. But then people go to college and then to university and then some universities require they, I don't understand. <laughs> so, so in Europe and in most of the rest of the world, we have the distinction goes between university and polytechnic. So polytechnic is where you go to learn a craft type thing. Like for instance, you would go to polytechnic to be a systems engineer or something like that, right? And you go to university if you want to do more research focused things or if you want to have a more general or broad based education. So you'll have mathematics in university, which is focused on mathematics as a thing. And then you'll have mathematics and polytechnics, which is taking mathematics and putting it into practical applications in a more practical sense. But then at the same time, you have medical school and odontology, so dental school and everything falls under the university system. So whatever. And then they've opened up the university definition. So anyone can call themselves a university, whatever. But like the, the traditional... Ah, yes. The, the launch of the polyversity so, so that Britain could claim it had more people. Exactly. At, at so like in Vancouver, we have 
I teach at a university, which does have some research programs, but I wouldn't actually call it a university in the classic sense that it is or whatever. But um, these conversations actually keep coming up. I was, I was deep, uh, heavily involved in the university reform of 2001 in Norway. Um, and uh, like I helped write some of the legal texts for it uh, as a student representative. Um, so back then we had these same conversations, which were around like, do universities have a role to play in educating the public writ large? And what do universities do to stay on track with the needs of the industry, the needs of society to make sure that the people who go through university don't just end up with a paper that says that they know something that has no value, but actually ends up with actionable skills they can take out into the real world and use. And what every single one of these conversations lands on is the difference between going to university or any kind of higher education from not doing it. So training yourself, going to a, um, like a boot camp type thing or anything else is university teaches critical thinking and university teaches you to I'm, I'm balling university and college, whatever that means together here, higher education teaches you to understand how to learn new things and how to use those skills, the learning new things skills, to further your knowledge and further other people's knowledge, right? And and knowing where to look things up is a darn important skill. Yes, and knowing how to then document that you looked something up, that you did not just come up with it yourself, right? So there are all these technical pieces to, to advancing knowledge, both for yourself and for others, that are important that can only be taught in that kind of environment. That said, that does not actually mean that you need to go to university and take all the exams and do everything. You can theoretically show up, go to all the open lectures and acquire the same knowledge. You just won't have the paperwork. And the big conversation then becomes, is the paperwork itself valuable in the labor market? Now, to, to end this, also keep in mind, I'm from Europe where you don't pay for higher education. You do, uh, you do, you do. That is, my, the crux, that is the crux of my point. My point is everything you said, completely agree with. In the United States, I, I'm not going to be political, but during the Bush years with the same thing with the real estate market, they encouraged financially student lending and they changed the bankruptcy laws so that you could not discharge student loans. And it created an entire industry that marketed to students and their parents go to these places. And in response, the universities quadrupled down on their construction and their staffing and, and it became selling cruise ships, uh, mm-hmm. you know, trips to students that said, because in the old days, your grandfather and grandmother used to go to work for a company because they had a degree in liberal arts and archeology. span You should do the same and spend $400,000 to get it. And everybody bought into it. And now they're left like with a hangover into their forties. And what I'm saying is the European system of, listen, this is not a job system. It's critical thinking, it's relationships, it's maybe, you know, again, scientific expertise to contribute. But nobody's going to believe anymore that, that spending that kind of money is going to guarantee your kid's going to be able to pay this off or even have a job. They're living in a basement with a degree from Tulane and $400,000 of debt. And my point is, this kid is like the, the, the insider tattletale to the truth, which is if you really cared about the info, just go get the info. It's either given away for free or show up and they won't probably notice or care. But if you want the receipt, that's really what you're paying the money for is like a validated receipt that if somebody called up, if you even found somebody who cared, they go, yes, Spencer did go to Stanford or 
20 people knew Spencer who went to Stanford and it was really true. He paid for it. That's the I'll only see, thing. Yeah, and, 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 can, can I just say something? Yeah, can I just quickly say something? I see where you're coming from, Spencer, but I'm going to, I'm actually going to say something nice to you, Spencer. So, oh my God. Even, I'm going to say something nice to Morton as well, even though he's been nasty to me the past couple of episodes. <laughs> uh, um, what, what you're, I understand where you're coming from, Spencer, but also um, having a really, which is rare, but having really a lecturer that really knows their stuff. And I would suggest that uh, having you or having Morton um, teaching a subject, because you're both really very good at explaining things and keeping it interesting. Uh, um, I think having a lecturer and especially kind of the Oxford-Cambridge way where you're teaching in small groups. You're not teaching, and you've got the same mentor lecturer for almost three years supervising you, unlike some higher education, when you're in some room with 300, 800 students. I don't really see how much value you get from that. But when you're in a small group and you're having somebody like yourself or Morton and you're, you're interested in the subject, it's such an empowerment, uh, 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 such a, a way of growth, really, because it's more about mentorship and using your experience to help people that don't have that experience. Can you see that, really, Spencer? I do, but it's just the, I, I, it boils down to me for the cost factor. If you could turn back the clock to the relative cost of, again, University of Illinois was always an outstanding education, but it was 660 bucks back in the 80s, which was today that would be like if it cost you, I don't know, like a couple thousand. But they're charging 16,000 a semester now for the University of Illinois in the farm field. It's like, who are you kidding? Right. I mean, who that's, that's what I paid to go to Brown in, in the mid 80s. I mean, it's like if I was asked to pay for a course online and they said it's $16,000 for eight weeks of this course, I'd be like, you better, you know, you better have a truck show up in my driveway with a carnival that gets out on my lawn or something. Well, you, you, have, you, haven't been, you haven't been exposed to some of ClickFunnels. Well, you know what I'm saying. So anyway, that's the whole point of this educational thing was I found that in other conversations we had, the world is evolving. And whether it be that we learn the skills ourselves or we have an environment that's educational, it has to be proportional to the true value you get. And my whole premise is there is zero correlation between the value a kid gets from going to an Ivy League or even a, a major Big Ten school today and what the reality of on the outside is going to bring to them. Because unless they are training to be a doctor, which still really, I think, requires those skills or something like technical, like certain engineering, most liberal. I, I don't know. Are All my doctor friends basically said that, you know, you have this stuff for the exams. But again, it's, you know, where to look it up. But you understand what I'm saying? Like there's certain things that are critical that you need a higher level of like certain uh, checks and balances. But for mm -hmm. liberal arts jobs or in the business world jobs or even MBA law. Honey, so honey, there aren't any liberal arts jobs. Well, that's what my point is. It's all just. <laughs> All the people I went to. to School for classics with are are in tech now. Yeah, and that's a good thing. And yes. the reason and the reason is good is because they went to liberal arts and actually learned to think critically. Right. And this is like social this, skills too. This this conversation is really complicated, and it's complicated because education is in desperate need of a complete revamp. Like it has to be made non-profit because as long as it's profitable. It's the same thing with healthcare and everything else. When people are trying to suck money out of it, mm 
then the focus shifts from how to actually produce good outcomes to how to produce more money for the people who own, uh, who earn from it, right? Which is a huge problem. Now, in addition, what is happening is um, because of this chase for you know wealth and a good life and all that kind of stuff, a lot of people end up picking paths in their education, which are not based on what they actually want to do or what they would thrive doing or what they would do well, but what they would earn the most money from, right? And this is why you often why get- Why all Romanian you have, engineers? Yeah. And this is why you get a lot of immigrants who end up being doctors, even though they don't want to be doctors, right? Because they, they are driven into it because it's seen as a high- high value profession, right? Which will give you status. And the problem with that is being a doctor or working in the medical field requires you to be a very specific type of person who really wants to help people. And when you don't have that, you end up with this really difficult situation where the doctor doesn't really want to be there. Like I actually know people who are in this situation right now. So it's tricky. But what we need to remember here is there's a huge part of Silicon Valley who sells this lie that dropping out of college gets you careers and gets you, makes you famous, right? And they keep banding about Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Steve Jobs and all these people dropped out of Harvard. And no one ever points out that they dropped out of Harvard or whatever university they're at because they already had a multi-million dollar company that they were running right? That they built because of the connections they got from those universities. And without those universities, they wouldn't have those connections. So then it's like a complete fiction. Uh, There's also a bunch of people that say, you don't need university. You can just go to, uh, you know, some sort of uh, boot camp or whatever and get the skills you need and get in at the bottom. That is true if you want to be a technician. It is not true if you want to sit on top of that iceberg, because right now our tech field is built up of people who built it up from the garage. That is already gone. That time is over. Now, the tech companies that when I work for are giant multinational companies with tens of thousands of employees. And to get up into those higher echelons, you need to know more than how to do your job. You need to know how to connect with people. You need to know how management structures work. You need to know how to think critically about how entire organizations work and how to move them forward. Those things require that you go to a school where your teacher does not tell you what to do, where your teacher gives you impossible assignments that you can't solve, where your teacher will force you to learn things you're not interested in and then make you understand why they are actually interesting. Like my best experience I had at university was when I went in and I had to do um, philosophy of language. And I truly went through five of the six months of that class, not understanding what it was. And I went into the professor right before my exam, because in Norway, what used to happen was you would go through six months and you would have one written exam, a six-hour exam, and that was your entire grade. So if you fuck that up, that, oh, I'm sorry, the guy who doesn't like me swearing, if you fudge that up, then you are screwed, right? <laughs> so I went to the professor one month before and I said, I don't it's understand. He's going for me lately, isn't he? <laughs> So I went to the professor and I said, I don't understand this. How am I supposed to pass this class? And he said, if you don't understand, you have to read everything again. And I'm like, but that is not helpful to me, uh-huh. right? And he said, okay, if you don't understand this, read it as if it was something else, right? And then he gave me an article and he said, read this as if it was an article about logic. And I read this one article and I truly had this transformative moment in my brain where it went, ding, this makes sense. And then I had to read everything again. That is the most important learning experience I ever had. And that learning experience could only happen because I was in a higher education setting where a teacher 
forced me to reread 5,000 pages of material one month before the exam so that I would actually understand it. Right. right. Um, I think we're going to go for a break, folks. And when we come back, we have a continuance of this discussion. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com just like the podcast we're coming back we had an interesting discussion on this label weekend um before we go into the other topics i want to talk about one of my great sponsors and that's wp fusion what is wp fusion well it enables two of your key technology stack to really communicate and that's wordpress and your CRM of choice, Active Campaign, Drip, or the host of 40 others, which WP Fusion communicates with. And what it does, it puts your WordPress platform and your CRM on steroids, and it enables them, enables you to get a lot more information and knowledge about the people that are coming to your website and then to effectively market to those people. And that's what it's about in 2018, effectively marketing to the people that come to your website. So if that sounds interesting, go to the WP Fusion website. There will be links in the show notes. And you get a bonus. You get as exclusive listener and viewer of this show, you get a coupon code, and that coupon code is WPTONIC, all in one word, uppercase, and you get 25% of any of the packages that are available on the WP Fusion website, and that's exclusively to the viewers and listeners of the WP Tonic show. Thanks. So on to the next, next one, which is... Um, 10 reasons to use WordPress for a university website. As, as I agreed with Sally's comment, um, there wasn't a great um, lot of other kind of stories that um, I was viewing, but it had some linkage to our previous discussion in part one of this discussion. So what do you think, Sally? Um, I, I think, you know, I, I know a lot of people use Drupal and other things, but um, but I really think you've got a university education website. You should be looking at WordPress, shouldn't you? Oh, well, yes. I mean, I don't think the article does a very good job of explaining why, you know, universities specifically uh, would find WordPress. I think you could write a much more interesting mm -hmm. article about why a university website is a good use case for multi-site. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, go into a, a, a little more detail about that and, and uh, what it offers you. Uh, <clears throat> because that really is why, you know, if, if you've got a university or a company with a bunch of franchises or something like this, where you really need a lot of little subsites because there's so much going on, but you want to have them, uh, you know, you want to have a, a uniform style and brand and a, a appearance and, uh, you know, some control over, uh, you know, just how much uh, how much tinkering they can do. 
it, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it does. What do you reckon, John? What did you think? Um, I didn't read the article, but <laughs> definitely I know that. Uh, well, the way that the university. <laughs> <laughs> universities i just didn't have time this week sorry but uh i mean i know that sacramento state they did a, a large chunk of their website on wordpress uh, a few years back the way that that universities work at least the way that i understand it is each department uh kind of has their own budget for those sorts of things where they you know go out and find somebody to do it but um it's cohesive. It's more cohesive if you can get all the departments of a university on the same platform and use something like WordPress multi-site to, to do that. That it's a great option for that. So um, I'm not really qualified to talk at length about this, but yeah. Okay. What about you, Moulton? I'm sure you're qualified. Uh, um... I think, uh, Using WordPress for university sites makes sense as long as you understand what you're getting yourself into. Uh, Because, you know, the idea that WordPress will somehow cure all your ails is just simply not true, especially when you're running something giant. Like uh, here in BC, the University of British Columbia, UBC, they run this enormous uh, WordPress site, which I, I believe every student has their own WordPress site under it. So it's like 30,000 sites under a multi-site. And that requires basically re-engineering WordPress because you need to split up the databases so that you don't get one massive database. You need to do all this custom stuff. So they end up building entire plugins and entire like systems that sit next to WordPress and everything. It is to, to but, but that's not like, you. <laughs> there's dangers in using WordPress. But the point of that is running a website for a large business or a university or any kind of enterprise type solution is not a, I can hire someone to do this for me and then everything will be fine situation. It is a, we need to have in-house people who, like we can hire someone to do this, but we need in-house people to maintain it and continue building it onwards. So whatever large organization you have, you have to actually hire people to be your web people to just manage whatever web solution you end up with. The university I work at, um, is very typical. It's a smaller university. Um, what ended up happening was over the past, I don't know, 15 years or so, multiple different parts of the university would make their own web solutions for different parts. So now there are four different entities that do not talk to each other. And they're trying to figure out how do we take all this stuff and then mash it into one website so it's all cohesive. It's very difficult because there's processes. Anytime you build something, a process builds around it. And if you want to change it, you then have to change the entire process, which means retraining everyone, um, which is really difficult. Now, on top of that, you now have this Gutenberg situation, which is something that will happen to any website uh, you build is that at some point it'll change. And if you have a giant installation where every single student and every single teacher uses it, then you have to account for, you know, retraining, redevelopment and everything for whenever the platform changes. So it's like, it's a bit of a puff piece. It's like the standard spiel for why use open source. And I agree with everything it says. It's just that I wish on all these things, there's like, and while I say this, there's this caveat that any kind of web project, regardless of who you hire and how you do it, will require you to allocate enormous funds to just manage it. That is the cost of doing business in 2018. 
Yeah, well, before I throw it over to Spence, it's just that, yeah, I totally agree with about the piece and that, but I, I was talking to somebody um, at the Reno University and, it, and um, oh, it's they've got a medical department, medical um, department, and they, they were looking at open source and then they decided to go with a, a um, not open source solution. And it, it, they told me the price they paid for this and the contract they paid for it and I was godsmacked. So it's still, and I thought to myself, even if you didn't go with WordPress, maybe look at Drupal, you know, go open source. But, you know. You know why? It's because those companies that sell the proprietary solutions do better marketing and have the backing of the proprietary solution and funnel millions of dollars into it. WordPress does not. We don't have that. We don't have, apart from WordPress.com, which is not WordPress. We don't actually have a marketing branch. We don't have, you know, the really honed in Right. We have a, we have a team of, of volunteers attempting yeah. to figure out how to market WordPress, the open source solution. Yeah. 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 Um, what do you reckon, Spencer? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to make an open testimonial for your sponsor because this is a good example of how I view, and this is what we teach at WP Automation Lab, the new way of doing things. Absolutely, as Morton said, any university really can't approach a project like, gee, I think I'll go on WP Hired and find somebody. They, they really need to do this from the internal level. However, the way that they build it, I see as using each component for its special use. And what WP Fusion is exceptionally good at, that's its primary purpose, is to connect the operation of a business like a university's website with, with classes and courses to a CRM or a marketing automation platform and to use the marketing automation platform as the primary core, the brains, and the ecosystem of WordPress responds accordingly. So this is a really good example, albeit a puff piece because it's sort of like obvious stuff. If you were going to build a scalable business, whether it's for a company or for a university, and you wanted to have LMS and gamification and membership and payments and all the other things, WordPress is absolutely perfectly sufficient, but WordPress's function, gluten-free or not, should be as the public display, and it's sort of a compatible feature to the email marketing part of things, so that each user can get a personalized experience from the top of the funnel to the bottom, from the top of the experience to the bottom. And by managing that through a connection and tags and fields to the CRM, all of the WordPress components as well as the WordPress environment itself can be controlled without the fighting and the infighting and the incompatibility issues. So you could literally build something that's much more efficient, much more streamlined. You can't have anything in a university without infighting. I, I hate to say I mean, that. I'm saying yeah. inside, inside of the plugins, like which plugin is in charge of the users, which takes the money, which does that. So my point is, yes, this is a very lightweight thing, but it exemplifies the new way of constructing. Instead of it being... One plugin is your savior and everything else has to play nice with the plugin or what am I using? Am I using responsive or am I using a builder or whatever? Now you can just eliminate most of the conversation, use whatever the, the style you want, have each component talk to your CRM. And again, WP Fusion is the only plugin I know that does that right now. And you have a solution that's really scalable. Plus it then connects you to the rest of your stuff. So for example, many of the companies that we help have a, uh, another CRM that they're using for their sales team or they're using an auxiliary method of doing something. It gives you this sort of like Lego block system, whereas the ecosystem WordPress is very exclusive. You know, does the plugin have extensions or not? When you use your CRM as the brains with tags and fields, you can do some pretty cool stuff. But at the end of the day, 
all of this is sort of puffy simply because it's like saying to somebody who's going into space, you know, if you're going to space, be sure you uh, use, uh, you know, this kind of rocket fuel. I mean, you don't really just go off into building a university system without hiring the right people. To be right, on to the next story. And um, um, Sally found this and I thought, I, I, looked at, I looked at it initially and I thought, what the freaking hell is this about? And i got to say, I listened, I listened to the background of the video and it, it was amazing. It really is a, a fantastic, um, and there'll be links. And the title is a bit mind-blowing. Why do keynote speakers keep suggesting that improving security is possible? Because keynote speakers make bad life decisions and poor role models. Um, Sally, what... what Give us a synopsis of what this was about, really. Right. Well, you know, having uh, seen the the headline and and then reading the uh, 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 reading the the description about you know the uh, the talk, I thought you know you have to. I have to listen to this. It sounds hilarious, um, and it is hilarious. It's it it's, very, it's very funny. But it, there's also an important point which relates to, you know, what Morton's been writing about uh, ethics, that, uh, you know, the tech industry as a whole is operating under this, uh, you know, notion of manifest destiny and the assumptions that, like, you know, basically your technical innovation is, is, is always good. You should do it as fast as, as, as possible. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, like not worry about what the consequences are. And we see an awful lot of that, and then people are shocked. So he, he talks about the um, chatbot that uh, I think it was Microsoft created that, you know, after 16 hours had been corrupted into a, an instrument of, of, you know, hate and and <laughs> and, and, and warfare. And, and that, you know, this is... This, this, that, that you have to be extremely careful with machine learning, but everybody is just like, oh, let's put some machine learning in everything, and, and that p particularly in, in the area of security, that can can be risky. But that, you know, the, the deeper problem is we we keep doing things without even, you know, thinking about possible unintended consequences. You can't have that. But I thought I thought I thought you did a fantastic job there, Sally. Uh, but it's one of the most interesting and funniest pieces I've I've listened and watched in a while, actually. And I thought what I didn't realise because obviously um, I'm not at level kind of mathematical knowledge. Oh, I, I couldn't follow the mathematics. I think the key. I, think, I, I thought the I, I thought the key thing he made there was that the mathematics is that they don't even fundamentally know why this works. Well, yes, they, yes, it's, it's, but it, it does like work. The egg drop exercise. And you just keep throwing stuff at it and see if something happens. <laughs> and it's a bit like quantum mechanics, isn't it? You don't fundamentally know why it works in a lot of scenarios, but it does. So that's all that matters. And it's a bit like, and I think the other thing he was pointing out every problem in society, some technology company, oh, AI will, will sort it out. No, it freaking won't. Uh, um, and he kind of explains why it won't. What do you reckon, uh, Morton? Uh, I wasn't supposed to be here today, so I haven't watched this video. All right, no, <laughs> my meeting watch, that was supposed to be on nine was canceled. Like I will watch it. It sounds very interesting. What about you, Spencer? Well, I, mean, I thought this was the guy is hilarious. He reminds me. There's a guy on YouTube who fixes Tesla cars, and he's got a similar sense of humor. So, this I thought it was like an Onion video or something because he's just he's got a good sense of humor. 
I, I don't care about the topic, to be honest, because it's like, if somebody tells me that there's a security problem, I'm like, okay, so what? So, you know, I'll put this, I'll put that in the category. <laughs> I read it and I watched it, but I, I just don't care. Oh my God, Father. <laughs> I thought you brought up some really good stuff. No. Uh, this, one, this one you slipped in at the last uh, minute, I think. <laughs> Oh, it was early yesterday morning or sometime on Wednesday that I actually put it in there. It, 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 it. Oh, oh, sorry, Sally. I didn't know it came from you. Do you watch it, John, at all? I actually just watched it on double speed with closed caption uh, d- during the actual podcast. I think Morton will actually... so quiet. <laughs> Morton will actually enjoy it a lot. There's a lot of good things in there. Uh, it deals into ethics. Uh, if I could sum it up in a couple of sentences, it would just say the people who are designing the Internet of Things are not looking to the past history of uh, humanity or computer science as far as, uh, you know, tr- trusting. <laughs> it's like this philosophy that that all technology is good. You should deploy as fast as possible and nothing bad will ever happen. So Right. Uh, history doesn't matter. That was the, the third exactly. tenet of, of Manifest yep. Destiny. Yeah, just, just to kind of finish off, because it, 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 in my kind of very mixed up way my mind works, so I was listening to um, um, Sam Harris's po- latest podcast, um, Waking Up, and he had, um, it was about digital humanism. And humanism. he had a, Humanism, thank you. And he had a guest, Jaron Lanier. Lanier, um, the inventor he, of VR. He's a he's an interesting dude, isn't he? Uh, um, and but he was point. I didn't agree with everything he said, and he, he's one of these kind of anarchist um, technologists that you know. He kind of um, he's a wild dude, isn't he? Um, but he kind of really challenges, um, we kind of just set into these kind of storylines that other people um, spent a lot of money. And he kind of pointed out that the kind of digital economy at the present moment encourages a lot of the things that we've been discussing over the, the coming months. Then this idea that free and free access to information will solve all humanity's problems is total garbage. And most people, whenever... Uh, there's ex- nothing that's going to solve all humanity's problems because the problem is that we're humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of way. But you were saying that, you know, a lot of people, when they're exposed to a tremendous amount of information, they actually switch off even quicker than if they're just dribbled some information. And, that, and they kind of revert back to very unqualified attitudes and views, uh, um, which I think we're, we're seeing. So um, I think I've bored the panel, um, but it, it was a great discussion. I'm gonna I, think I, I would like to add, like, Jaron Lanier has been on our thing this year. So he did a TED Talk where he basically said that advertising destroyed the internet. He is publishing a book that's called something along the lines of 10 reasons why you should delete all your social media accounts right now. Um, There was an interview in NY Mag a couple of weeks ago where he said, among other things, and I actually have the quote here, um, as long as you have advertising, you have this pervasive incentive to make it manipulative. You can't have a behavior modification machine with advertisers and have anything ethical. It is not possible. So Lanier falls into the same category as Tim Berners-Lee 
and Vin Cerf and uh, Jeffrey Zeldman and all the other grandfathers of current technologies who are all basically saying the same thing, which is we screwed up so bad by monetizing this stuff and it is literally destroying everything and we need to start fresh. And the only way we can do this is by getting every single person who's currently addicted to the technologies we built to unaddict themselves somehow so that we can start over. Yeah, it's a bit like... Um, Good luck with that. I, I don't... I, don't t- I see where you're coming from. I don't totally agree, but um, it's a bit like the little sponsors I have for my show. They're, they're you know, Kinston, WP Fusion, and I believe in both of them. Are, um, and the money they give me help me cover my costs. And I was listening to Leo Laporte, uh, um, the twit, and um, I was listening. I hadn't listened to any of his podcasts for quite a while, but I started listening to. Well, it's, the- it's hard to fit Leo Laporte and his ego in the same room. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Uh, um, and, but he's now got kind of adverts for rocket mortgages and for bed mattresses and he's literally just flogging anything. Yeah, but that's that's all the podcasts they have ads for what is it the Casper mattress and Rocket Mortgage and what is the other thing the you might be finding me flogging the catchers. so they obviously right well that's what I mean if you've got basically programmatic advertising as as part of a, a, a group that you know Blueberry offers and, and some of the other podcast hosting channels, you know, Audible, you hear about the various things that come up, uh, you know, and you all get the same ads all over the place. And I think it is of much more service to your uh, listeners or, or viewers if you at least provide advertising that's interesting to them uh, or, you know, at, le- at least marginally relevant. But that doesn't work, by the way. See, the thing is, like, with advertising, if you had somebody who was otherwise useful to the community, they need to basically be on the air by making whatever their costs or their livelihood is. And that's all that happens is that the people who are willing to pay are the companies that have the largest ad budget to spend because they got a product that, yeah, I mean, you don't want to see something that's, like, antithesis of the point of the show, but, like, a Casper mattress, well, everybody sleeps and they got a ton of money. So that's why you hear about them all the time. And that's why if you're a blogger or a podcaster, you're saying, I'll take the money because it's not like smoking or drugs or something. It's just a mattress. So I'm on the air. I better email them tomorrow then. Unless we we just need to come up with a better monetize. Like, no, we need to throw out the idea of monetizing content on the web and come up with a different way of earning money because monetizing the web is destroying everything. Casper, Casper, I love you. Um, there we go. Uh, um, so. <laughs> it's, well, it's tough because you you want, you know, it, it's been the issue with uh, with journalism and, you, you know, you, you can't read a newspaper website because it's so full of ads. Um, it's much worse than the ads in the in the print paper. It's, it's just impossible. I, I just don't go to What's what's worth? What's worse when you go to the Washington Post or whatever the ad is that says you must pay a dollar to read this article or the one that has an ad? Because quite frankly, when I get a link that goes, it's it's not the existence of ads. It's like really, I'm going to pay you a dollar? Like even if well, it's 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 not the existence of ads. It's the way they are used to literally make the content unreadable. I don't mm-hmm. mind there being advertising. I mind there being advertising that makes the experience of being on the site so awful. Do you but, pay? Do you pay for any content, Sally? Like a newspaper or something like that? Um, 
I've paid for, I've subscribed to some things. I don't, I don't pay for a, uh, uh, I don't pay for a newspaper because what I found was they just kept stacking up, not getting read. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like the money has to come from somewhere and I am willing to pay for content that I'm not going to get elsewhere. That is, that is interesting to me. I pay for books. I pay for, you know, but uh, you know, we have a, we do have a real problem in that, you know, well, if you want this uh, social network or whatever to exist, there has to be money from somewhere because it requires, you know, uh, servers and it requires people to <laughs> take care of it. And, and, you know, it can't be either you have like some notion of, oh, well, the government will fund this as a utility, which face it, this is America, the government doesn't fund those things. Um, and, uh, you know, or you've got the notion of, of some philanthropist, which is the way it all used to work. I mean, come on, guys, the word school comes from the Greek for leisure. You know, you. Uh, but but the, you guys, this is all philosophical because we know it's not going to go back to the 12th century with patrons and stuff. We know that if you want to do something artistic, people will give you money, but that's not a livelihood. That's usually a struggle. The world of capitalism is here to stay, at least until something bigger, better approaches the earth. So for right now, while I agree with the premise that there's like abusive like layouts of ads and there's abusive advertisers and all that stuff, the fact is like most of us. Love it. We're Americans. Well, we're Canadians too. But the point is, like, we just love this because we can't wait till the next new video game comes out or the next TV show or the next thing that we want to see, the, you know, the food place. And that's the way it is. Because as soon as you tar- t- start talking about some other method, you get into who controls from the top the information. And then we're back to three weeks ago with the China discussion about you are not allowed to have access to the servers because the Politburo told you not to or something. That's just the way capitalism works. People pay to give you what you need and you have to show your group of people what they have. And well, the problem isn't that people pay. The problem is that they don't know that they're paying, right? Okay. They, don't, they don't know how they're being manipulated into doing things and they're not, they're not aware of like, it's the, it's the manipulation component of this. If advertising was advertising, like passive advertising, it wouldn't be a problem. It's not passive advertising, extremely pervasive. It's based on surveillance technology. It's those pieces that are dangerous. And that's what, that's what Jaron talks about. That's why all these people talk about is that it's not that the information exists. It's that these systems are based entirely on driving you towards things that will make you see more ads. And then those ads are designed to make you click on them to the point where there is now a service, and I'm not joking here, there's a service where you can pay $29 per month. The service will then expose a person of your choosing to whatever ad system that you choose so that you can literally brainwash them into doing things you want them to do. Like, for instance, the advertising is like, if you want your parents to buy you a dog, you pay $29 and then they'll expose your parents to ads that will drive them towards buying a dog. Or if you want to get your wife to, to um, initiate sex, you would then pay them $29. And then like, it is... And the thing is, this is entirely legal under the um, cookie tracking, advertising, uh, uh, mind I'm control system that, that exists. Link after the show, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have some things you want to spend so, like, $29 we, on? We, is that what you're we, saying, Spence? We have created a system that is based on mind, like brainwashing technology. 
Yeah, but that's, like, what it's okay. that's, that's what advertising has been. Go look yes, up. But it's, go camel but it's ads now completely the, different because it's like, I want to wrap this up. I want to wrap this up. And I've got to say, uh, Morton, I am slowly moving a little bit more to your position. But w- where I disagree with you is if you're such a freaking empty person that by showing you this load of shit to you all the time, <laughs> turns you into a robotic mind that despise any old shit that's going. Good luck to you. No, no, no. No, 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 no. This is the thing. This is, this based is the on thing. All of that, you know, shit time. priced at $9.99 works. It works. It work with me. Really no, no, no. You are making a moral judgment on people based on how they are wired. Like you're talking about We've spent the last 40 years of psychology trying to figure out what motivates people. Then advertising companies have taken that knowledge and turned it against humans. You cannot pass a moral judgment on people and saying, if you're so weak that you're influenced by advertising, then you don't, like, we're on Zoom now because you were tricked by advertising to go to Zoom, dude. Like this impacts you. You have that stupid arm. You have that stupid arm that's holding your microphone up. That's not necessary. You're not a professional radio station. You can just have a regular stick. You know what I have? A lamp. I, I need the stupid arm because I work in a chaise lounge, and this and this thing has to be mounted on a table. But, but the point is, no one outside of radio knew about yeah, those arms the, until they started advertising it specifically I love I love you to I love right? you to bits Walter but you you jumped the shark look it let's face it you totally jumped the bloody shark so um Sally how can people how can people find out more about you uh, yes, well, it's and most of uh, where I'm spending my time right now is is uh, deeply involved in uh, collaboration platforms and, and Slack channels with my clients. But uh, you can find me uh, at Sally Getch on Twitter. Uh, you can find my uh, at really needs a little updating uh, website at wpfangirl.com. Uh, and if you can spell my name, you will find me because I am unique in Google and fairly ubiquitous on the internet. True. And Malta, there can people find out more about you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn Learning, where I teach people how to build uh, things on the internet that are not evil. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, where you can listen to me rant about things a lot. Uh, and I'm here on this podcast, some Fridays, occasionally. <laughs> You've been doing better lately. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm trying to find. Just some... wait. <laughs> oh, don't say that, please. Uh, um, Spencer, uh, I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will follow the cookie, the tracking pixel to your door. At wpautomationlab.com, we will That's teach great. you how to do those nefarious things that you have been warned against. There we go. That's it. That's so, it. so before we leave, yeah, just what about John? What about John? John, John, how can people find out about you? You can find me at my website, which is Lockdown SEO. Also, go to my YouTube channel. Uh, you can use hashtag Lockdown SEO or just Google John J. Lock. You'll find it. So, there you go. That's great. Right, Molten. What did you want to say? Uh, so, Spencer, you're a lawyer, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, you have legal background. It's, it's all right. Some of my best relatives are lawyers. That's right. 
did you see the the blip on the internet where someone was saying that they wanted to sue the WordPress uh, core team and the Gutenberg team? <laughs> I mean, I, I always love this because there's two types of law, so to speak, but there's regular law, you know, civil law, and then there's also class action law. And I'm sure that this was uh, like not the first time, but it was the first one that made public news. So, yeah. But, you know, this is not surprising because like you live in a world where like, people will throw stones until one of them breaks a window, you know, and that's kind of what's going on here. I'm sure this is like the billionth one that people have tried, but this one just sort of made the news. So, but it hasn't proceeded anywhere. I don't think. No, it's not going to. I mean, what are you going to do? Sue people for contributing to an open source GPL project? How's that going to work? I I mean, the, the whole, the whole idea is like when you have good Samaritan laws, they have things, I won't be long here, but like if you help somebody who has had a car accident, right. Mm -hmm. And you're a doctor, there's a provision that says you are immune from anything other than like sticking a knife in their eye or something because they want people in society to help. Well, same thing here. Like it's open source. So very mm-hmm. unlikely anybody's going to get anywhere with this, but yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. We're going to finish the show now, folks. <laughs> and uh, um, If you want to support the show, please go to iTunes and give us a good review or a negative review. I just love to get reviews or comments from you on the on the YouTube channel on the WP Tonic page, and um, just tell us what you want us to discuss. And you know, it's great, and everything's great. And we'll see you next week, where we're going to have another lively discussion on a Friday morning. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.